my good friend Zubin, uh, ZDogMD, welcome again. Uh, it's been a couple years since we did a nice series on the book Awake, and I visited you in California at your studio, and we had a great time and recorded a bunch of stuff, and so much has happened since then. Yeah, and and strangely, nothing has happened too. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah, it's been great, man. It's great to be uh, back talking because I don't know something about you and I talking is just this weird confluence of like doctory weird stuff and total nothingness. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like magic. <laughs> yeah, with taints. With yeah, taints. with many taints. I just got an email from somebody who said uh, they wanted to interview me, and the and and they and they said, "Look, I'm a nobody. I, I don't really. I have no right to interview anybody. But I just want to tell you this: my wife and I refer to you and Dr. Angelo as the Taint Twins. And I said, <laughs> you know, you ha you really had me at Taint." <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. That was yeah. maybe the funniest thing I've ever recorded. That was, it's even when I watch it back and I've watched it back a few times, the taint episode, I laugh my ass off. It's we're going to have to link to that because uh, it was, you know, and the, the story behind that was, was kind of just, we'd been talking for like eight hours on awakening stuff, mm -hmm. getting progressively more just empty. And then it was like, well, all right, let's just do a live show. And it just devolved into exactly the perfect thing. <laughs> It was perfect. Yeah. Perfect storm. Yeah. The perfect storm of taints. <laughs> anyway, there you go. So, and well, I mean, not everybody knows that we both, it's, it's strange because we're the only two physicians in the country that have both done a fellowship in taints. Yeah. Actually, you, did the I did, you did the medical side. I did the surgical side. That's right. But we both ended up in the taint ICU um, doing that one rotation. Remember that? Because it was an away rotation for you, mm -hmm. but it was in San Francisco where, you know, it's, it kind of acknowledged it's the world capital of diseased taints. And nobody knows why, you know, is it this, like the same yeast that makes the sourdough really good mm -hmm. might be actually generating the kind of particular microflora in the taint that can cause, you know, things like taint fistulas, mm -hmm. um, high output taint failure. Mm -hmm which, you know, again, is, was first characterized in the Bay Area, um, you know, by uh, Grundle et al. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, the, um, yeah, I'll never forget the the um, critical tank care rotation we did. And we put the rotation together. We were the only ones that had ever even done that. We're still the only ones that have ever done that rotation. And the weirdest <laughs> thing is, also, this is a little known fact for anyone's listening, is it's the only critical care rotation of any kind where the 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 actual attending physicians, the fellows, Doctor uh, Damani and myself, were also two of the patients throughout that, throughout that part of that rotation. Yeah, you know that's what really made it so special is we understood empathically and energetically what it meant to have your taint um, not functional in the way that you know most humans would imagine a taint should function, which is to provide support, to provide a grounding for the rest of the organism. Now, what is interesting is I know you and I were the first board certified taintologists in the country and the only, but what I've known, I've gotten a lot of, I don't know if you've gotten this, but my inbox fills up with people who want to be grandfathered in because they'll say, oh, I was, I was talking about taints for decades before you guys came <laughs> along with this fellowship. Just give me the certification, grandfather me in because I've, I've put the hours in. And mm -hmm. you know, it's a compelling argument. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there's something to be said about a very specific laser-like focus in a training program that's optimized and JCO certified for taint training. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't had those kinds of emails, but I can see how people would be, they'd want a piece, want a piece of the grundle. You know what I mean? Um, anyway, 
So, yeah. So if anyone has any questions about, you know, let us know. Send us emails. We want to hear about your uh, your taint-related medical questions, concerns, history, fellowships, um, any of it. Any studies you're doing, you know, ongoing, things like that, you know. Yeah, evidence-based taint uh, procedures uh, are – it's important because in the old days, it was really just you and I sitting around a table going, well, I think we should do this about this sort of taint problem. Mm -hmm. And now there's a extensive literature mm -hmm. Um yeah, it's something else. And there's so much crossover now with industry and taint, you know, taintology. Um, you know, we got the 3D printed taints. Um, yeah, it's just so much, there's so much more that's available for, for people with, you know, chronic taint syndrome and, you know. And chronic taint syndrome is a, such a stigmatized thing too, mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, I, I remember um, I had a 3D printed taint in my office that I would go through with patients and say, okay, this, this is the part of the grundle where, you know, there's a lot of frictional coefficient and you can get burns and you can get various things. This is where, you know, you get Fournier's gangrene and these sort of, you know, necrotic infection. And, um, I remember once I, 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 as soon as I pulled it out, this young man just burst into tears and I thought, you know, what's going on here? And he'd been suffering with CTS, chronic taint syndrome for a long time. And as we sat, I realized it wasn't so much about the taint. The taint is where he was holding mm. a lot of this trauma and this in this emotion and this repression. It was, it was manifesting as a taint problem, but really it was an early, early trauma where he was riding a bike and it was a male bike and he and he tried to jump like a curb and he and he landed right on his taint. And even though there wasn't really that much physical trauma, the mental trauma persisted and people were making fun of him. That's the mm. thing. Yeah. And he felt, you know, I'm I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, and and he still holds that sort of in the taint. So it, it's biopsychosocial, really, yeah. the Absolutely. chronic taint syndrome. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So <laughs> So other than other than the fact that we haven't matured at all in the last two years, and we're still eleven year old boys um, when it comes to talking about taints, um, what else has happened? What do you say? Nothing's happened. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> it's 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 um, it's always paradoxical to talk about this from here because for me it's it's like nothing really happened, and yet mm -hmm. the the one who talked with you that sort of constellation is unrecognizable kind of from here in terms of whatever has unfolded since. And mm -hmm. and um, so much of it is now seen kind of that I couldn't have done any of that. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's such a paradox. It, it just, it starts to happen. And if anything, you learn to relax and get out of the way. Um, and there's always holding and there's always resistance. And so you notice that. And so, now things feel a lot more fluid. So when emotion arises, it, it just arises. And sometimes it's interesting to kind of feel into if it's a, if it's an emotion like anger, sitting with it and then realizing, oh, it's actually, there's, a, there's an underlying thought that I didn't even recognize that says something that is now generating this response of anger from a sense of being a part in some way. So something isn't right, I'm pushing and pulling on it, and it's generating this feeling of anger when I'm not getting my way. And before I would have said, oh, it's just, I'm just angry and I don't know why. Or I would have told a very specific story about the anger. And now it seems to show up as more the root, like the deeper separation, like, oh, there's a fundamental belief that I can actually do something about what just happened. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that's that's just not the case. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's interesting that the, the association with, uh, just the, let's say the association between um, anger which is a very 
very good place to look if you want to look for desire and aversion or pushing and pulling on experience uh, and experiences of life, very practical experiences. It's a very good place to look for that mechanism. But it's interesting that there's such the association between that and the sense that there's actually boundaries between self and other. They don't seem associated. They don't seem like they're directly connected, but they are directly connected. And of those two, of those two phenomenon, this the the illusory sense that there is a separation between self and other in in the most fundamental way, and the phenomenon of the the experience of anger and the cognitive aspect of it, which says that shouldn't have done what it did, or that that should that person should have done what I think they should have done, but they didn't. Um, and that means that I have to be angry, and that means I I should push or or pull on the experience. Those those phenomenon um, are very different in the magnitude of um, oh I don't know how to say it like the 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 sort of magnitude of how intense of an experience they are I'll say intensity they're very different one is extremely subtle and one's very very intense often at first anger is very like the most intense emotion when when we really let ourselves just get too, totally upset right. Um, and on the other end of the spectrum, there's this very, very subtle, but very profound perceptual filter that makes it appear as if reality is literally divided into subject and object. And it's, they, they can actually fall like dominoes. When you calm down that, that, the hotness of that anger, um, cascade and really start to look in, well, what's actually causing the anger? Is it actually something that's automatic because we can convince ourselves, oh, I just lost my temper. Like you were just walking along and you just lost something and didn't notice it. Like we almost take ourselves out of the equation. Like I, or, or, or like I had to be mad about that, right? You should be mad about this is the thing you should be mad about. People who speak that way, it tells me something about them when they're like, if you, if you watch this or watch that, you should be mad. That tells me something about their internal experience, nothing about the world. Um, it's a belief that like, there are certain things that are ju completely justifiable to lose your temper, justifiable to lose your temper, to act out on anger, not to feel anger, to act out on anger. Um, and then you can actually, uh, uh, um, you can confront that, that belief, that belief that I, ha I have a justification to get angry. If you're justified to be angry, you can do some pretty bad things, you know, potentially depending on your, you know, your past and so forth. Um, but that's the next step is first you, you kind of learn to, navigate the hotness of it and, and actually see what's going on. And then you confront that belief you have that I have to react. Then you can look at the mechanism of reaction. And by the time you're doing that, you're in a place that might feel uncomfortable, but it's nothing like it was before. It's not an outward expression. It's you're not, you're not causing drama necessarily. People may not even know you're angry, but you're, you're, you're exploring it inwardly now. And now you can look directly at that mechanism. Well, what is it that actually makes me think I'm justified in being angry. What is it that makes me think I even have to be angry? What is it that makes me think I have to do anything at all because that person should have been polite to me and they weren't? Because I believe that person should have been polite to me and they weren't. That's my expectation. There's nothing objective about that. And who suffers when that doesn't happen? When my expectation is not fulfilled, who suffers when I get upset about it? Me. When my expectation is not fulfilled and I don't get upset about it, no one suffers. That's a pretty simple equation. No one suffers. No one has to do anything at all. And when you see that no one has to do anything, then you can look at the next perceptual filter that says, well, why am I 
using this whole cascade of anger to keep the construction of that person apart from me. The sense of subject object is right behind it. It's literally the next domino. And now you can see it because it's because you've gotten to the subtlety. But the only way you're going to do that is go through that cascade and and first trust that you can actually feel it. You can feel the emotion. It's okay. You don't have to act out on it. You don't have to blow up. Then start to actually look and see, do I, but do I have to react at all? Am I actually angry because that happened? Because that person did whatever they're doing? No, I'm angry because of an interpretation of that. That's it. Nothing more. Nothing. Yeah, it's all in here. It's all an inside job. You know, and it's a beautiful exploration. Yeah, that was really beautifully put. And for me, it's been, this has been the recent work that's being done. And again, I want to take credit for it, but it just seems like it just arises. And then I text you and say, hey, I know you did this video on volatility and reactivity. And it felt very clinical and very abstract to me when I first saw it. And I thought this looks like work and I can't really do work. Um, I'll just not do this. But really there was also resistance. It was like, oh, this is very uncomfortable. Like when, when I try to sit with a trigger and feel what it feels like in the body, it's, it's deeply uncomfortable. Uh, and so the tendency from however long of conditioning is to jump into either a reaction or a thought, which is a reaction, like I can somehow control this by jumping into thought and all the justifications. And I remember I left you a voice memo saying, yeah, so here's the thing with traffic, driving in traffic, trying to drop the kids off. And I go through this whole thing and I say, you know what? And it's, here I am like stop and go traffic forever and dropping multiple stops and nobody really likes that and da, 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 da. And later you said, hey, listen back to that message and see if you can find a really interesting tell there. And of course I was like, oh yeah, no, it's all about control or whatever. And you're like, no, it's not that. It's when you said, nobody likes that. Explore what that belief is. It's what you pointed to earlier where it's where where people will say, you know, I had a right to get angry. Well, why? Well, because you really shouldn't be stuck in traffic. It's not desirable. Why? If you really look at it, is it any different than being on a beach in Aruba? <laughs> it's all the sensations, sounds, uh, 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 feelings, images. It's there. Mm -hmm. It's all the eminent presence of this. Mm -hmm. So then sitting with that, um, it became so clear. It was like, wow, this is all a construction. And what you said is 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 central to the why that people people ought to do this because people think, oh, maybe I've had an awakening or I've seen kind of the nature of things and I, I'm I'm done. Now I just have to kind of let it all unfold. But the truth is what's hiding the deeper levels of identity, mm -hmm. those energetic structures is this, the way you pointed at it was perfect. It's like, oh, so hiding behind this is the fundamental delusion that I'm actually apart from the one I'm angry at. <laughs> and that as that, I can do all these things and I should do all these things. And if I don't do all these things, then what? And then what will happen? Mm -hmm. Oh my God. And, and then you feel into that and you realize, whoa. And, and it's not an intellectual knowing. That's mm -hmm. the thing. You can make it intellectual. And I think that's a trap. And it, it maybe it's a prerequisite, but it certainly can feel trappish if you stop there. Mm -hmm. It's almost just, oh, just sit with it again and again and again. And something weird happens where it just, and so for me, it's not like it's completely dissolved, but oh my God, the level of reactivity has dropped so much. And now when I'm reactive, it's so obvious. I'm like, oh, like you feel it everywhere. You're like, yeah. oh my God, oh my God, that's reactivity. And and a good and a good <laughs> a, a good vessel for this has been teaching my daughter to drive a car at <laughs> 15 and a half and sitting there. And I can just tell you, like, old Zubin, and I mean like 10 months ago. Zubin would have been like, 
gri- gripping everything, pretend pushing the brake, like trying to control the situation that's uncontrollable and basically shouting and screaming and oh, no, 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 no. And trying to, you know, really being reactive. And now it's like, I can feel the body light up with a little bit of fear when she gets a little close to the right. And I'll say, you know, you just just cruise a little bit to the left. And so this distinguishing between react reaction in, the, in, in sort of emotion and story and actual response, which is just cruise a little to the right, is like heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. It's the difference between suffering and, and just being, you know? 100%, that's exactly it, yeah. And when you unhook that belief that I have to react, you're actually unhooking the belief that, that there is anything that reacts at all. But that, and that, that's, that's a hard thing to explain a priori, but once it happens, it's obvious that there's actually, no, because everything about what we talk about when we talk about identity and awakening and realization, all that, it's really about identity. It's all, it's all about identity. So what you're looking for is the identity structure that, 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 that seems to be there that says, I'm the one that reacts. And, and that's the, that's the last domino to fall as far as the identity is concerned. Um, and what you said, I loved what you said about it being the difference between heaven and hell, because it really is like, you, you kind of go to, in one sense to the hottest place within you, you go into the last place within you, you want to go to, it's really, really, really uncomfortable, especially at first. It's actually so uncomfortable. The first time you're pointed there, the first time you lead yourself there, often you're like, nope. I'm out of here. Like, and you, you may not even realize that's what you did. You know, you may just find like months later, you might go, that was interesting. Like why I, I was totally gung ho about going down and doing that investigation. All of a sudden I just wasn't interested anymore. That's interesting. The next time you go in, you might be like, Ooh, I really don't want to go there, but at least I know I don't want to go there. And it's just, it's too hot. It's too squirmy. It's too uncomfortable. It's too, um, it's, a, it's almost like a childhood response, like something when you're a child and you just like everything in you is just like, you know, it's like a disgust response or something. Um, but, you know, if you keep exploring, you realize like, oh, I can be here. I can get down into this emotion space and it's OK. Uh, OK, meaning I can actually reside here. It's not comfortable, but I can reside here. And that's huge. You know, once you're able to do that uh, and then at some point, you know, it doesn't it's not like it goes away, you know, slowly or anything. It's just. You just, I think you just learn you have more capacity for it. And at some point it does sort of transmute somehow. It it just, it literally just looks totally different. And it's really when you see that it was all about keeping, doing something to keep that illusory boundary between self and other there, that that's actually what it was about. It was to keep, it was to just keep reminding yourself that there's, oh, there's a boundary there. Sure. Yeah. There's definitely a boundary. There's definitely a person out there. That's, that's the asshole and I'm the nice guy. And you know, that that's what we're telling ourselves in one sense. But we're we're believing the the reaction, and we're not looking just beyond the reaction to see is that actually there though. And when you see it's not there, that's when hell turns into heaven in a sense. That's when things just look totally different. It's not like you live in a world of constant bliss and heaven or anything, but it's it's so different experientially, viscerally different, and you know it. You know it's different, and you may not even really be able to talk about it. We're using language for this, but. It's, it's not about, it's not a conceptual thing at all. It's a, so, it's so obvious and it, it really, it gives you freedom. It's, it show, it starts to really show you what freedom is. That That's it. That's it. It's, it's this liberation feeling tone to it. That is, it, and you saying it, you can't talk about it is exactly right. And the other day it was, you know, it, it's so self-validating in a way because you, you're seeing the same world. Mm-hmm. 
like this is not it's not like like you said it's not like the gates of heaven open and light comes streaming out and there's choirs it's this it's the coffee cup like this but the way it's perceived is through this there's no there's no good way to talk about it. you could say non-division you could say no separation you could say uh here there placeless all these words they they don't even touch what it is and the other day i was i was kind of immersed in that very clearly like there there was um it, it was right after like my wife had done this thing where she moves energy around in the body she's really able to do that mm. with me and so i had all this energetic uh experience and then i just sat looking out the window and i started laughing i was like you can't say a word about this why do i even try to make videos you can't say a word about it because it's just perfect as it is just that tree mm. just that tree just like that and um and then, and then later, it's like the mind comes back, and it's like, ah, but you can kind of point in the direction <laughs> like it wants to. It wants to do something with it, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's some value to that because the, you know, the ability to communicate it does does sort of light it up in people. Sometimes they 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 will ultimately have to go through the process themselves. Everyone has to go through this themselves, and I can't hold your hand. I can hold your hand a little ways, but I, you, I have to let go of your hand because you because you have to let go of my hand. You have to let go of everything as you're waking up, right? But um, but the but the words can be helpful, and you're very you're a wordsmith. I mean, you're really good with communicating things. So I think there is a value to that. But the the, the balance is realizing like when that's appropriate and when it's not helpful. When you're sitting out in the yard, there's no there's no camera. There's no one. You're not talking to anybody, and you'll see the mind try to rev up again and be like, well, we can we can talk about this a little bit. We can describe it, right? Um, I think that's awesome about your wife, by the way, like her intuitive, her intuitive feminine energy is just like right on the money, of course, right, right off the bat after awakening. It's beautiful. It's perfect. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's really crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She, she, and that has kind of continued to unfold because she has a very busy job and she still like the way that she, she won't even notice this actually. That's the interesting thing because for her, nothing has happened. Mm -hmm. So, but what I notice is like exactly a year ago, you had your retreat in North Carolina and I came back from that and she got very upset with me because work was really hard for her and I'd left for a week and it was this kind of big, kind of honest discussion where it was like, you know, I feel like you're trying to avoid the reality and I'm like stuck in it, shouldering the burden of it. And now it's like, well, nothing has changed in her job, mm -hmm. but she comes home and she's like, yeah, today was pretty busy. You know, it's cool. Enjoy that retreat that you're gonna go to next week. And when you come back, we'll do this. And it, it, it's just the degree of equanimity that naturally has shown up. Mm -hmm. And it's, there's still strong emotion and there's still difficulty, but boy, mm -hmm. it, you can't even recognize it. Um, and and the the energetic stuff, I think, has been so very prominent in my own experience. Like for me, like this, just this morning, sitting in my meditation chair, the whole body's lit up. It's like energy currents are flowing through. And it used to be that there, I, there would be these. Um, it was a kind of a resistance. So there was a sense that the belief that this is too much, or this is uncomfortable, or I can't bear this much energy, or whatever. And it would lead to a kind of friction tone. And I only see that in retrospect because now when the, that energy arises, I can feel a little re resistance. And I go, what's that? Oh, that's that's me trying to make distance or try to somehow control still this energetic unfolding that's just happening. Mm -hmm. You can't really explain it. Um, and then things get very, very light mm -hmm. and you just go, wow, the body's just lit up. Mm -hmm. What are you gonna do? And just sit with that for a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. The, the, 
the uh, man, the unbinding from from narratives, the unbinding from doubt. Um, it just it just gets subtler and subtler and subtler, and you, and with that, you there it feels lighter and lighter and lighter. It feels more peaceful. Peace. Um, the, this kind of peace, it's it's not the absence of anything. It's not the absence of violence or the absence of movement or anything like that. Um, it's it's just it's the absence of any, trying to make distance from anything. It's the absence from the belief in the need to make distance from anything. It's the absence in the it's the absence of the need to try to construct anything actually. So I'm neither trying to make distance from any th- apparent world or object or self or emotion or thought, and neither is there any fabrication of any of that. So it's like the best of both worlds. It's yeah. em- it's empty and full at the same time. It's very beautiful. Yeah. That uh and and that's that's see that's the that's a beautiful expression of how you know this dream thing here that even the word dream is tricky, right? Because Mm -hmm. what you're really describing when you say dream, in my opinion, from here, it seems like dream is just when our thoughts tell us what this is and we believe them, that's dream. And so, but but for most of us, that is the world Mm -hmm. is what our thoughts tell us about everything. And then there's the sensory input. But when that relaxes, then you just have the world as it is and the story can arise and you go, you see the story arise and you go, oh, that's beautiful too. Like, look mm-hmm. at that story. Like, oh, and I can see them both and it's fine. And that is in a sense, the piece that passes all understanding because now it can just be as it is. Mm. And um, so you can have, like you said, you kind of have your cake and eat it too. You, you, you have the world and you have, and you have truth and they're not two separate things. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a, there's a pivot point on the word, the world that I want to point to and um, I'm not correcting the way you're saying it at all. I'm just saying that any word we use, including anything, I experience worlds, anything, any word we use, it can be misconstrued for sure. And we're talking about subtle, but important perceptual, um, insights, let's say. So I want to make a point about the world. It's interesting. There's a way of being, there's a way of being at peace in the world in a in a sense with 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 spirituality with awakening with consciousness there's a way of being in equanimity and consciousness at the level of the mind where you're really not binding into concepts and yet identity the sense of being something even if it's that something is being or consciousness um is still there and it is freeing it is freeing but i will say it feels like there's still a world they'll still feel like there's an actual world <laughs> And this is bizarre, I know. But at some point, there's a there's what happens is you start to actually see that there's not an actual world. There's not actually physical a physical world. There's not physical matter. There's not physicality. And and you don't see it now an, a scientific mind right now is probably gonna say, Oh, that doesn't make any sense. We, you know, we prove this and that, and there's form and there's matter and mass, and you can measure it and this is not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that's thoughts. Those are thoughts. Those are just, that's science and science has its place. I'm talking about in your most obvious visceral direct experience, you will literally see through reality. You will literally see that what looks like the physical world is not what it is. It's not, it's not, it's just not there. Not in the way the mind's putting it together at all. And it becomes very obvious, but I, but I will say that from the place of the, the spaciousness of consciousness, where there still is a physical world, when you start to sense that, there's a whole set of deep alarms that go off. <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's not necessarily what you want always. Um, 
the way I'm saying it now may sound very pleasant and it it's more than pleasant, but the the tra- transition to it can be v- quite rocky. And this is where the rubber meets the road in when we go from like initial awakening to deep stage o- awakening. And that is when you sense that there's literally no form, There's that means there's no form, there's no out there, there's no in here, there's no position, there's nowhere to stand, there's nowhere to formulate a, a self anymore. Um, when you sense that that is the case, and I mean, you don't, you may not be using those words, but you'll feel it. That's when those alarms go off. And those alarms are, they're emotion body alarms. They're, they're just very deep in the shadow space. They're very deep in the emotion body. They're parts of yourself you may not remember. They're things like existential dread, existential terror. If you remember it, you'll remember it from being a toddler, like very, very young, or like, I don't know, two or three or four-year-old or something. A, a young child that 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 can still experience that kind of existential dread of not being. You're, you're in contact with that now as this, physical form starts to, to, um, be seen through, let's say, uh, so on the other side of that, I'm just going to fast forward because there's a lot that goes on when that starts to happen on the other side of that, though, there's a piece that is truly beyond any, any piece of consciousness, any piece of beingness, any, any piece of anything in the spiritual realm. It's completely beyond it. It's, it's, it's so paradoxical and, um, it's, it's, um, <laughs> there's nothing I can say about it, but it's your true nature. And it's right here all the time. It's always right here, but it's, it's, it's not even in a place where here makes sense. It's not, it's neither here nor there. It's not bound by here or there, which doesn't mean it's not here or it's, it doesn't mean it's neither here nor there. That's not what it means actually. And this is really obvious that the hereness is the everywhereness you feel in, in feeling this. I feel the emptiness and everywhereness of this and of every sound and of every sensation. And that's ongoing on and on and on and on and on and on. And with that, it's so hard to touch that with mind anymore. It's so hard to touch that with concept because it doesn't, it's, it doesn't even make sense. It just, you couldn't even begin to formulate a sense of self or separation or form anymore. Um, and the freedom is, it's not, you're not the freed one. You're not the freedom. The whole universe is the freedom. And you're the, you're, it's all the same thing. I could say you're the whole universe, but there's no sense of identity structure anymore. So it's the cosmos as freedom. It's one footstep as the entire universe taking a footstep. And that is total, absolute freedom. And it's completely empty and it's completely every single possible form. It's every side at once, all at once in that footstep and that breath. And then <clears throat> touching the wall, touching the counter, um, someone smiling at you, someone frowning, doesn't matter. It's, it's all the same. Um, that clarity is in everything. Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, So, I mean, anything I say is going to do violence to what you just did. Um, honestly, what I just did does violence to this. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, you're, you're, first of all, just a little meta commentary on this. When you point in that way, for me, that actually evolves the entire realization spectrum, like in real time. 
So it goes from consciousness is all of this, that that type of peace and bliss, which is has a certain flavor um, to existential terror um, because it's right here that there's nothing happening <laughs> in, the, in the sense that we think to going through that to the other side of that where you were just pointing, which is unpointable, and yet there it is. And uh, I, there's really nothing that you can say about it except for, if I can say one thing, is that for me, it's quite fluid. Um, there's still a lot of like emotion body stuff, a lot of uh, stuff that that is feels like it's going, um, for lack of a better way of saying it. But there's a deep, there's a knowing and a trust, like experientially that, oh yeah, no, what you're saying is yes. <laughs> I don't know how to, I don't know how to say it. Yeah. Um, but you, 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 you've done, you've done this when, when you came up here, I remember we were sitting out there on the street and you were, you were pointing in this way and I was looking at the asphalt and it was, it was exactly as you were pointing in the, f it, it just empty, it full, everything, nothing. And I, I remember, I think I, I, I looked at you and I said, that is simultaneously the most fucking amazing thing and terrifying, beyond terrifying at the same time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then mind, mind like started telling stories about it. But yeah, mm -hmm. it was kind of like that. Yeah, and you, you, I like how you said there was a, there's a flavor to that, that consciousness, that, that spaciousness. And there is a, it's a flavor. It's like, we don't want to let go of flavor because this is this is flavorless but man is it is that delicious <laughs> flavorlessness is the best taste you'll ever taste it just is you know? uh, gorgeous because it's yeah, easy, it's easily every flavor but it doesn't have to be any flavor mm. Mm. Yeah, nothing you can say about it. No. Yeah. But but the the consciousness flavor has for me has a blissy um expansive so there's quite a bit of space like there is space there. Um Yeah. Yeah, it it really has a particular set of qualities. Mm -hmm. And like you're saying I think where you're pointing now is qualityless in this fundamental sense. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just exactly what it is and isn't and nothing and everything. I, again, yeah. it just starts becoming, yeah. I think, and your your description of consciousness, like I haven't talked to you about this, maybe, I don't know if we ever have specifically talked about that, like the consciousness flavor and stuff, but your description shows me you're, you're very clear on it. And um, just to be clear with anyone listening, I don't necessarily recommend trying to abandon that. It's not like that. It's a sense. The con consciousness is a, just like Buddhism talks about. There's five senses in cognition or the, the the six senses and one is the mind, basically. It's the flavor of consciousness. And um, so I don't necessarily recommend avoiding or or, or um, trying to move beyond or anything. In fact, I, I actually recommend people cultivate an ability to remain in that unbound state of consciousness such that it's it really expands into infinity it's above, below, behind, every, everywhere, such that any thought that even stirs within that consciousness is completely already known, noticed, felt, and it is the entirety of consciousness 100%. And that's a really, really good place to, to sort of meditate, actually, um, especially when things heady are going on and when there's a lot of polarity in the mind or in consciousness. 
that's a really good way to just help dissolve those polarities in thought and consciousness because all of the barriers I'm talking about, the perceptual filters I'm talking about that make reality look in a way that it, it isn't, um, they're all structured in consciousness at some level. It's just subtle levels. They're, they're structured in, they're basically a, a belief, you could say, um, at one level or another, but they're structured in consciousness. So I think it's a very skillful thing to be able to meditate in consciousness. And it's an important, it's a hugely important step in the process. So, yeah. And, and that That's really helpful, I think, because it's such a practical pointer because for me sometimes it can be actually quite um quite challenging to actually drop into that degree of unboundness uh and and I don't know why that is but I do notice that one pointer that you said is when it happens everything that's knowable is known mm. so every everything that can appear is actually known and you go, oh, that's everything because consciousness is that sense. So everything that's happening is happening here in this conscious space, including thoughts, including belief, including these very subtle energetic senses of self too, because there's a feeling like, oh, there's a center that's appearing in consciousness Mm -hmm. uh, almost as an energetic appearance. And um, for me, it, it was, I, I think before that kind of settled and stabilized, it was very hard to try to find that. And so I would watch your videos where you point at unbound consciousness. And that was actually a good gate because you could actually kind of settle in. Oh, 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 there it is. There's the click. Oh, it's just this sense. It's another sense mm-hmm. gate. Um, it makes me happy to like, hear that the videos actually worked. Because <laughs> every time I make a consciousness video, I go, I wonder if anyone's actually getting this. Because it's it's a very tricky thing to talk about because it's easy to conceptualize consciousness, which is not the point, right? But yeah. you touched into the things that I think matter. And I'm just putting this together now because every time I talk about it, maybe I can say it a little differently. But, uh, you know, the, the the components of of meditating in this unbound consciousness are probably three. One is the expansiveness, the 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 actual spaciousness of it. And that probably isn't really there until an awakening. I think after an awakening, that's very obvious. But but it's like, in a sense, experientially remind yourself of the spaciousness of consciousness, meaning, you know, all it's dimensional. It feels quite dimensional. It's spacious. Make sure you kind of notice that. Open the aperture of consciousness, number one. Number two is the sense of I, the sense of you, the, the conscious one, the thinker, the thought, the one noticing all this. That wherever that seems to be, it's also fluid with that whole expansiveness, but it might just sort of feel like one center of it or a little part of it. But make sure you touch into that as well. And then touch it. And then the third part, importantly, is any thought, any thought arising. So you have to be oriented toward any thought arising. What's the next thought? And if you're oriented to all three of those, you can kind of find a balance where all of those are there at the same time. And then then it's that's where the sweet spot is. That that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's it. And and I think I think you're your um, internal sort of concern that you requ- you expressed about, oh, do these, are, is, 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 are these videos effective at doing what I'm trying to point? I can say for, experientially for myself, yes, absolutely. And, I, and there's been times when I've texted you about a video that you've made about unbound consciousness and how to point into that. And it's a lot of what you just did, but very different ways that you do it. It's just however it shows up. And it, I, I'll say something like, just that was it. It's the spacious everythingness. There is there is a sense of the thinker as no different than the appearance of the thought, as no different than the space that the thought is appearing in. 
And the the statement that there's dimensionality to it, I think is very helpful because if they hear you talk about later stage non-duality where there's no, or dimensionality just doesn't even, it's not even a question anymore. Uh, it's not that there isn't dimensionality, it's just a, what, what even are you talking about? Mm -hmm. um, th they might try to look or create that in the consciousness space. Exactly. And then they're imagining things as flattening out and doing this kind of thing. I know this from personal experience. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's how you're pointing is is really perfectly clear. Yeah. In that yeah. Sense. You can see how subtle all this stuff is. Like just what you said is very, very important. But you can see how if you take like later stage realization and turn it into a paradigm inside consciousness, you have to realize that's one thought in consciousness. That's only one of the three key aspects I was just talking about to even to even remain in unbound consciousness. Yeah. The, these insights are so freaking obvious they're just beyond conceptuality. When no, no space is so obvious, it's beyond conceptuality. So if you're trying to imagine it, forget it. It's just, it's not that kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's key. Yeah, yeah. and you you say that you know, repeatedly, but I think, you know, like you've always pointed out, like for me especially, I have to hear things in different ways multiple times before something relaxes and, and you're just ready to mm -hmm. be heard or expressed. And it almost feels, again, like it's just an energetic process. and. And it shows up as Angelo said this thing for the 27th time in a slightly different way. And I was in a particular mood. And then the next thing you know, there it is. That's how it shows up mm -hmm. in thought space. But what's really happening is it, you know, mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I want yeah. to talk about for some reason, it just came to me as specialness. So before, before all this kind of crazy unbinding stuff happens, let's say, um, uh, we, we, we can, we put specialness on things, but it's very, um, very based on our conditioning, of course. So we're going to put specialness on, you know, when we're, I don't know, it, we always put specialness on attention. We put specialness on validation. We put specialness on our partner, the person who loves us, our children, our parents, families. We put specialness on, some people put it on status. Some people put it on fame, fame or getting expert at their craft. Like we put specialness on like these areas of life, right? And that's fine. Like it's whatever. Um, but it's all of that is really what it is, is it's a way of polarizing consciousness. That's what you're doing. And, the, the, and you're, and you're, and as anytime consciousness is polarizing in these ways, you're kind of overlooking the identity structure. You're overlooking the, the thinker. You have to forget that you're the thinker to forget that that's a thought that you're chasing and not actually anything in the real world. This is first awakening ah. stuff, right? But anyway, yeah. so there's that kind of specialness. Um, and it, I, it can be hard to let go of that kind of specialness. And part of the reason it's hard to let go of it is because it, it gives us some benefits. One is to go unconscious. We like to go unconscious. We like to disassociate a little bit. It's escape. We learned to do it when we were kids. We learned to disassociate, right? When, in, when we're uncomfortable. So that's one part of it is it's a, it's a, it's a kind of flowing disassociated state. The other aspect of it um, which is, is related, is causally related, is it allows us to seek, right? We love, we love our partner, but we kind of love our idealized version of our partner. We want him to be a little more like this, or, or maybe we don't have a partner. We idealize the perfect lover or chase, you know, women around when we're a young man or vice versa, whatever. We idealize status. We get some status, then we want more status, right? But it's, there's a seeking. There's definitely a promise of the future. So, so we're hypnotized by the illusion of time, right? Now that's called hide and seek. The hide part is the first part I said where we can disassociate. We can use that as an escape and then we seek something in the future. 
because it's safely in the illusion of time has nothing to do with our physical body, which is another form of disassociation. But that's the specialness. We have a specialness that's a, that's that's rooted or grounded in this hide and seek thing we do. And it's all based on polarized consciousness. Right. It, 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 um, I can't I cannot emphasize how how um important that aspect is to the feeling that there's stuckness or um something's not right and 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 again uh first awakening is not the cure for this mm -hmm. uh if anything yeah. it accelerates these feelings you, yeah because now it's full on you're like oh god and so when it happens you're you're feeling very clearly something's not right there's something I, I use the word delusional it's just it's not accurate there there's some truth that's being missed and a good example then would be someone who's you know a post awakening and then angela's retreats in a week and the saying, oh my God, I'm really looking forward to this retreat. Like on this retreat, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna blow myself open. It's it's gonna be the thing. And in the mind, you can see it playing out. It's like, there's something uncomfortable here and I can dissociate by putting projecting my spiritual self into this future state that I know is gonna be great because I've been to retreat before. So now I'm taking memory, telling a story, projecting it into the future. And I remember one time I asked you about the first retreat. I said, hey, well, you know what, anything I should do to prepare for this? And you said, Retreat isn't in space and time. It's this. It's now. It's what nothing to do. Just this. And I was like, and that takes the mind and goes. <laughs> it pulls away its little goody. I'm like, wait, no. I want to look forward to this thing. I want to yeah, prepare for exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. That's, it's exactly yeah. it. That's what we do. You know. Um, sometimes I sort of put it this way. It's like when you when you practice seeking, which means like living for the future in one way or another, like anticipating this and looking forward to that, and. What you're really doing is you're practicing not being present right now. <laughs> That's all you're really doing, you know? Mm. So this, this is what I'm getting at with the specialness thing. Um, and you're right. First awakening doesn't cure this. It actually illuminates it. Um, it's already there for sure. It's full on. But when you have an awakening, you have, a, you have your foot in the door enough that you can see like, okay, this is what I'm doing now. And then, like I was saying earlier, it's, it's hard to let go of this. You don't want to let go of this because, because vi viscerally, you still get some dopamine from it probably like you can actually dopamine yourself up by imagining whatever, you know, you can fantasize about winning the lottery or finding the perfect lover or making a million dollars, whatever it is. So, so you, you, there probably is a, like a dopamine buy-in or something, but there's something you can sort of use it to make yourself feel good with. And you know, you start to see it's going away. It's got to go away. Cause you see, it's an illusion that can be a hard thing to let go of. But what I really wanted to say with all this was, um, the other, the other thing about it is it's a very situational, um, specialness only certain things are special which endlessly really implies that other things are not like a lot of other things are not special so what it does it, it, it seems to give you something to seek but it actually gives you a lot to run from it really sets up a polarity of avoidance and and all this is about avoidance so when you see through it and you're like okay it's just a fool's game it's a loser's game you're not going to win this game so the game of specialness is over in this way of speaking but I have really good news for you. Once you go through the existential terror, <laughs> once you go through all the shadow stuff that is not so much fun, um, you're, there's a specialness that's so beyond that. It's so, I don't even know if it's related. I want to say maybe you sense it early on and that's, you're, you're extrapolating it into thoughts, but I don't even know. This is, it's such a different kind of specialness. It's the, it's just the specialness of being alive, but it, but it's the aliveness of every single thing and everything that's not a thing. When I say things, I, I don't mean things. I mean, every appearance, actually, every appearance is 
infinitely special. It's so perfect. It's it's just what it is. It's so adorable. It's so enjoyable. And it doesn't need to be anything different. And it doesn't need to last. It doesn't need to be real. It doesn't need to be solid. It's not like that. It, the, the enjoyment is just the appearance. It's so perfect. And that doesn't, it's non-situational. It's non-situational. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, in traffic, if you're, I don't know. I just think of like the last 24 hours of my life, like, you know, I was on call last night and then I, you know, I was at home and then I went on to work and I was on call in the call room watching videos about editing. And then suddenly I'm called to a full trauma and someone has some ortho trauma and we're, I'm in the emergency department and coordinating care with the emergency doctor and the orthopedic surgeon transfer the patient. And I'm, you know, then I go back and fall asleep. There's a texture of sleep and dream. Then I wake up for a C-section in the middle of the night. So we're doing a C-section, having a baby, like all these textures that are going. And there's it, it something that's absolutely the same about all of it. It's, it's, it's all, it's all the same in some sense, because there's nothing that exists on its own. So it's all the same. So it has the same flavor. And at the same time, the way that flavor is expressing is the momentary appearance is just totally enjoyable, but it's enjoyable because of what it's not. It's not in comparison to anything else. It's not, it's not something I need. It's not something I'm holding on to. It's not something that relates back to the sense of, you know, me, which is really just a sense of lack. That's not there. There's nothing, there's nothing that, that, that needs anything to be any certain way anymore. So everything actually can show you what it really is. And when you see what it really is, there's no turning back. You don't want to go back to the world of the lie of hide and seek in the mind anymore because whatever it's, it's so perfect. It's like, it's so beautiful. It's so enjoyable and it's just what it is, you know, and there's no words for it. You don't need words for it, but it's everywhere and it's, um, ongoing. And so you don't, you don't have better and worse days anymore. <laughs> so people are, how are you doing? How's it going? You look tired. What's going on? And I know the paradigm they're looking from and it just, it, does, it doesn't exist for me. So maybe the body's tired. Who cares? It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter at all. This body is going to die yeah. at some point. It still doesn't matter. Post, post call Angelo doing a show like, what? oh my God, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I, I picked this up actually f- this energetic with you that that is truly how things are experienced. Like it's a, it's a flavor hanging out with you is that it's, it's, it's not an, I don't give a fuck flavor. It's a flavor that I give all the fucks. Like all of this is just exactly Mm -hmm. (laughs) as it is. And, and I think this is what I think is, I think this is true. I think people, many people touch into this realization at times in their lives and they don't know what to make of it. That there is like, when you say there's no specialness, it's not to discount that, that, you know, to put somebody down or to say, you know, you're less than, because that that's a type of specialness <laughs> in a way. It's saying nothing, everything is exactly as it is. And that's what's special is this infinitely special and, and not special. It's, and again, you can't talk about it. And, and this showed up in, in my, this resistance to this actually showed up in something my wife said the other day, cause we were talking about, you know, we, we'll now we'll just sit still and talk about nothing. And um, she can stare at each other. Uh, and uh, she said, so something something felt like it was bothering me and I wanted to tell you about it. And I was like, okay, so what, what, what's that? Because if, if it felt like it was bothering her, then I'm thinking there's a belief or a thought there because I'm feeling into myself. And I'm like, oh, it's bothering me that she's, something's bothering her. And I'm like, oh, there, there's a, some belief there. And she said, I, I feel quite neutral towards you and the children, whereas before there was like, 
the idea that I could feel neutrally towards you would have been abhorrent. Mm. It would have been like, well, they're special. Yeah. There's something there that uh, I have to treat very differently than this rock or whatever. And I looked at her and I'm like, that, that, that's it. it it's, it's fine, it's perfect actually, right? And she's like, yeah, but I feel, there's a feeling that it shouldn't be that way. And mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, investigate that feeling. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah, so I'm it's like a what, guilt. <clears throat> it is, but especially when, maternal maternal yeah. guilt. Yeah. yeah. When you see mm -hmm. the real key to me, to me, the real key is to see what that actually is. When you see that the reason they were special had to do with you, not them. Yeah. yeah. When it was an inside job, they're special because I'm taking pride for my children and look at, look at my kids or, you know, like all the different things we associate or that they just make me feel special, that they make me feel good, that they make me right. feel loved because they, they are, they are unconditional love in a lot of ways when they're little, when they become me's then they're a little different <laughs> but still you know they love you and, and you're the center of their world and stuff of course that's for you you know it's about you and um when you when you see like oh wow it's it's the me aspect that's being let go of not the them aspect now you can actually see what's there and they'll know you can see what's there when someone when you're empty of self someone knows you see them they've never yeah. felt they've never actually felt people have not been seen it's very yeah. un unlikely you come have come into contact with people on an like you know it, it was well, it's uncommon to come on come into contact with someone who really actually sees you okay um i think what what you said should be the like center teaching of all of everything which is it, it it's not that you're letting somebody go or putting them less than you're letting this go the center that is trying to own that or try to have something with that and when that relaxes then what's there is seen clearly and what's being seen actually knows it on an energetic level. And I, I'll, I'll give you one example here. So Suzanne Chang, who we mutually know, who you connected me with, um, the other day I was like, hey, Suzanne, and you know, we become friends and we talk, but I said, I wanna do one of your one-on-one -on -one sessions uh, where you, know, you pay for a little of your time and you, I don't know what you do. I'm just curious, could, could we do that? And she's like, sure. So I set up the time and so this is what happens. We're on Zoom, I'm sitting in my chair and I mean, I don't know what to say. I'm like just sitting there and some words come out and she, what the sense energetically was, was that there was a presence, there was presence that was witnessing this unconditionally with no judgment and with full awareness. And so even sitting with my eyes closed, I felt like I was being seen and tears start coming down because you're like, I've never felt what this is, this complete unconditional seeing and allowing of what's actually here. And by the end of the session, I realized that's what she does. Mm -hmm. She holds space in that way, empty um, for whatever is there, whatever is showing up. And it's absolutely indescribably beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the whole universe is looking at you. <laughs> yeah. And at first that can be really squirmy, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. Yeah, and then sure. as you, yeah, as you start to relax into it, because maybe you've done a little of this work, right? It, it just becomes clear. You're like, oh, this is just how it is. Wow. 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 Mm -hmm. Nothing needs to be done here. Nothing is pushing and pulling. It's just here I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yep. You know, yeah. the, the statement about, um, 
the statement about it being challenging for for some people or at first i find that to be true and um it's not like i can mitigate it necessarily but i think i can through just behavior and speech i can kind of come across more as a on a regular guy or something like that like i do that all the time actually it's like mm. my interface um uh and but i even then sometimes i think i bump into people on occasion that I don't know if they just have like a low self-esteem or something's going on. And I really feel bad for them. Like I can think of a few people that I've interacted with where I'm not talking about anything deep even. Like one of them was a neighbor I had. He doesn't live here anymore. He moved away. But it was like a neighbor I had. And I remember like he'd come over for, we'd have get togethers or, you know, whatever, just block parties. And like just talking to the guy for like two or three minutes about work, the most mundane stuff. And he he would go from a like super confident persona to like a scared, scared child. Like he looked terrified, like literally looked physically scared. And at the first time it happened, I was like, I was almost like looking around, like, is there, is he seeing something I'm not like, and then, and I, I didn't get that it was me, you know, necessarily. And the next time it happened, I'm like, it's me. Like, what, what is it about? And I'm like, I'm not saying anything to him. I was literally having this like basic conversation on how's work going and you know i think he does sales and stuff but there was some reaction he has to me that even when i'm having a very casual conversation just unmasks his his like confident identity and underneath it's this very scared identity very like emotional and um like i just felt so much for him but i almost didn't i, mean, I didn't say it actually maybe i should have i don't know but i didn't say it because i i kind of sensed that he i don't think he would have wanted me to point that out at that moment um, because it was, he was like, he was trying to still hold the, the confident conversation, but it was not what was coming through at all anymore. His bold body language, his face, everything. So I've seen things like that a few times. And sometimes I wonder if that's what it is. Like the, something's coming through that I, even though I'm not really talking in a spiritual way at all or whatever. I don't know. Oh, that is absolutely fascinating. I, I completely can imagine that that happens because even with you, like when, especially in person, when you and I are 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 uh, together there is a feeling like like this guy sees too much he sees too clearly like it's a little scary mm. because especially if you're defending or there there hasn't been a little bit of that unwinding of of seeing it yourself mm. um and so it's it's quite scary to be seen like that but then at some point at least for me something clicked where it was it was um ecstatic to be seen mm. like like oh my gosh this is what every human really deeply wants mm. like how how have we been hiding from this from from ancestral times mm. hiding from being seen yeah. through all this subterfuge yeah right <laughs> and here it's so beautiful you're like god this is lovely and so you just, i think the other day i went to see the optometrist and she's she's a young um woman 40 uh 40 years old and and I'm just sitting there and for some reason that day, I felt very, I felt empty. I don't know how else to describe it. And so I'm sitting in, in the exam room, just you know, present with the room and it's just room and eye chart and person. And she starts talking and I'm looking at her and it's just her, she's the whole universe, she's talking. And she starts telling me about her, like all this really intimate, like, oh, I just, I turned 40 and I took this trip to try to find my roots and I'm, I have these kids and, and she, and, and we've never had that kind of conversation mm. <laughs> and it's just open and open and open. And I'm just, just 
just holding space for it. I didn't realize what had happened until the end. I was like, I must have just been seeing her and she opened into the being seen mm -hmm. up to a point, up mm -hmm. to a point. And then you could feel like there's an energetic boundary where she's not gonna show anymore. Yeah. Like it almost is like a fear yeah. response. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I get, man, I've had that so many times. And the the version you're describing, I've had that so many times where uh, people feel so unguarded around me and they're, they're either very friendly or they're just something, there's so much, or they, or they start to express emotion, sometimes even like emotions that are not appropriate to the situation or whatever. And then they, they pull back, they realize what's happening. They're like, whoa, wait, what? I don't even know this person. That's what I assume they're thinking. And, and I've had that happen very frequently with people I just met sometimes. So yeah, it's interesting. Do, do they ever, do they ever overtly tell you that? Do they ever say, oh, I can't believe I'm talking about this stuff. Yeah. I don't even know you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Yep. Yeah. And I, I used to, I used to kind of justify that as, oh, well, you know, I'm the son of a psychiatrist mm -hmm. and you know, this and that. And I, I probably just, you know, I'm giving off an a, a easygoing vibe, but I don't think it's that. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think so. The no, more, people the more know when they're they're heard. You know, people know when you're actually paying attention. And you don't have an agenda, and you're not waiting for the next thing to say, and you're or just completely distracted. You know, on your phone or staring off into space. And that's that's more my standard operating procedure. <laughs> <laughs> so, Angela, whatever emptiness, no no self. It's cool. <laughs> Anyways, taints, whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, we've covered taints. We've covered hide and seek, being seen. Um, reactivity, hide and seek. Um, Isn't it funny how you can talk about all this stuff and it's different every time? Every single time. Mm -hmm. Like this feels different than anything we've talked about, but I know we've touched on some of these things before. Yeah. And we didn't have any plan on what we were going to talk about. I think we were on the phone the other day talking about doctors who get in trouble. Oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And... Uh, how it's impossible to know when they tell you a story, what's actually the experience of people around them and what's really going on. Because in physicians in particular, we have these very refined egos that are really good at hiding and seeking. And, and good at presenting ourselves. Like some people have, I, I, I personally actually don't think I'm very good at it. I wished I was better at it for a long time. Like when you have to apply to things and write something about yourself or interviews, like I've, ne I've never been good at selling myself. But I definitely noticed in medical school, there were some people who were, were actually really good. Like it was a skill set. They were really good at putting on a face. And, you know, and you get to know them, you're like, you're not really like that, but they, they could put it on at the right time. You met people like this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it's not just physicians, other professionals, you know, CEO type people. Like I'm sure a lot of people do that very intentionally, you know, um, but it's funny how deceptive it can be. You know, you know, it's funny. I just realized probably something I used to do unconsciously that I found just worked. And so it reinforced it is that openness to the other. Um, I probably use that quite a bit in interviews and in those kind of scenarios. And it, it would disarm the interviewer and make it feel, it was very strange actually, now that I think about it, the interviews that really struck me, they were telling me stuff about themselves that I was like, this is really, I'm just a medical student applying to your school, you know? <laughs> And so in a way I was, I was using it unconsciously as a, cause I knew it opened people up and mm. disarmed them and then allowed them to accept me with all my, you know, subterfuge of please don't look here at mm. the real me. Um, yeah, really interesting. That's mm. cool. Yeah. So you've had the, yeah. you've had that sort of talent your whole life probably. 
Maybe, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I, my mother has it too, actually. So it might just be a genetic thing. Well, <laughs> yeah, she's- I'll yeah. tell everyone, anyone who's listening, um, you may you may surmise this about him anyway, but like in person, I've told you this before, in person, you're like one of the most enjoyable people just to be around. You know, people are enjoyable to be around for different reasons, right? Some people are really funny. Some people are whatever, you know, but, um, but Zubin is just like, just such a genuinely nice guy, but not fake nice. And, and also he's very hospitable. Like he, he just knows how to make people feel comfortable. Um, but not in a, in a weird, like, um, uh, what do you call it? Like, uh, people pleasing way either. Really. It's not like that. It's, it's very, very grounded and natural and human. And yeah, it's like, it's just, you're just enjoyable to be around. And that comes, there's a lot of reasons, probably some of them are just natural to you and others are, you know, life experience, but it's true. Oh, that's really nice of you. Um, yeah, I, I probably used some of that as a, when I was younger as a way to, um, way to be safe, you know, like mm -hmm. around people that felt, it felt like the world was quite threatening. Uh, so it may be a little adaptation, but I, I appreciate that. Well, and likewise, like people who don't know Angelo uh, in person, like you probably get the sense just from watching his videos. It's like, this is a normal guy who happens to just see reality, but on top of being a normal guy, he's actually really smart and articulate. So it's kind of an unholy uh, uh, con con confluence of things. Cause then you're also really funny and you do actually incredible improv, which isn't about being funny, but it, it allows that kind of presence to make the humor, the insight and everything kind of come together. And people, I think naturally and appropriately trust you because um, not only do you feel like a human, but you also feel kind of transcendent. And then you also have all the credibility of having worked your ass off for a lot of your life to, to become a doctor and do these things. So it's really nice. It's really unusual. Um, well, thank you. So I, yeah. So now that we've basically stroked each other's um, <laughs> taints. taints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny because I, I actually have no, one of the weird things about this, and it's a, uh, doesn't matter to talk about this. It has nothing to do with the awakening process or like pointing, but it's definitely true is you, you lose the ability to self reflect in a certain way. Like when you say, this is how you come across, like I have no clue. Not only do I have no clue about that, I really don't care. It's so weird. Like, I mean, it's very nice of you to say, but I, I have zero concern about w the way I come across or how I appear. And my concern is only how I treat people or uh, my, my concern is how I treat this. So, you know, in a sense, but if I'm around people, my concern is like, without even thinking, I don't think about it either, but my concern is like true care for them, compassion for them. And when we're talking about this and most of what I do outside of regular work, I guess, is about awakening. My only concern is how, how much do you really want to wake up? How ready are, for, are you for it right now? And what's, what are we going to, what are we going to address in this moment? What fixations there? That's it, you know, because I know where that goes. And that, that aligns at every level. It lines, lines at the intellectual, the emotional level, the energetic level for me, because I know that's mm -hmm. the most that's the best thing for that person. I don't even want to call it compassionate because compassion seems to involve me. It doesn't involve me. It's for you. It doesn't matter about me. It doesn't matter about my awakening, my realization. None of that shit matters. If you want to wake up, like you have my attention and let's, let's get, let's get the show on the road because you know, we don't know how long you got. We're mm -hmm. only here for a mm -hmm. short time, you know? So, um, that's my interest. My interest is just like maybe what I could offer more than anything, but it's that to be able to reflect on myself or like, am I a good person or a bad person? Or how do I come across or how do I look like so interesting. I don't even never think about it. And it's hard to imagine really or anything. And 
Oh. Yeah. That's funny. beautiful, man. Yeah. 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 And you know what, what's, what's really cool about how you express is it's, it, um, it works by text or by voice memo or by video um, really, really well. You don't have to be in person. I mean, that's a different bandwidth. Mm. What I find with me is my best expression is often in person. Mm. There's something about that space that the things kind of open. Um, but even that may be a belief that I'm holding. It's not clear that that's really true. If I really feel into it, I'm like, is that really true? Like, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. um, is it different, you know? And I, and now that I think about it, I'm not sure that's true. So. Good, I love it. I love it. I love that you said that last part. Um, I would have <laughs> totally agreed with you 10 years ago, like being like, people aren't gonna wake up through texting, you know? Like you have to go face to face with them in the Doksan room and deep samadhi after days of meditation. And like, that's, you know, I don't even know. That's not even really how I woke up, but it's just, it just seems like that, right? It, it makes sense. Um, do I, I, do I think that on like face to face, I have more of a profound effect on people when it comes to pointing and stuff? Probably if I'm physically in the same room as them, probably, but it definitely works over text and stuff. And there may be a benefit to that because it takes the other stuff out of the equation for them any kind of validation stuff they want from me, anything about me, I'm not there. It's just a text. But I know where they're at because they're telling me where they're at and they're being vulnerable and honest. They're telling me what's going on in the emotion body and you know what I mean? And so a lot of times I can just tune in with that and and this stuff really does sort of boil down to certain inquiries around certain fixations. That's all this is. It's all, it's a, you know, all this stuff we're talking about, the identity structures and beliefs and all that, it's really a dynamic event. It's just dynamic events in the brain and the mind or whatever you want to say. Um, and in the, in the dynamism, anything that feels like a fixation will become obvious to me it is. And so where the fixation is, we just kind of go there, you know, and they usually point me there. They point themselves there. I'm just there to go. It's okay to go there. Yeah, it's okay. Well, this is terrifying. It's okay. Let's go. And we go there and then they figure it out, you know, or, or sometimes I just go, well, have you ever asked this kind of question around this space or whatever? And they kind of sort it out. And then all of a sudden that channel opens or there's not a block there so much energetically or, in, in the, in, in, in consciousness essentially. And then, um, you know, and then they just move along and they think, you know, wow, that's so peaceful. Everything's so clear. And then it's like something else contracts. And we look there, let's look down into that emotion. What is it? You know, what is the contraction? What is the emotion? What is the story, the narrative, the belief? And then it just, it, but it's a fixation and it all of a sudden it's unfixated. It's not fixated. And at some point you start to really resonate with the, the phrase freed from delusive hindrance. You understand that all hindrance is delusive in nature. Mm. That's that that mm. statement tells you everything you need to know about the unbinding process, about awakening, about spirituality, or true spirituality, is, is all binding, all hindrance that you feel, which feels like suffering, struggle, all of it, all of it is delusive in nature. That's all it is. It's a it's a misunderstanding. So simple. And we can find the misunderstanding because you have access to consciousness. So mm. that's it, you know? It, yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. And and just a quick question on that because that's beautiful. I mean, is it just an uh, just a matter of noticing the fixation and seeing it? Is that the work? It is the work, and uh, but I will say at first it's much easier to do that work with a teacher or with some form of someone who can help you find it yourself, point you back to it. Um, you don't need a teacher to wake up for sure. You know, videos, books that the people who have woken up who point in a very clear ways, it works. And that, and that a lot of people can wake up that way. But if you're struggling with awakening, you've been at it for years, you've been in spirituality for 20 years and not happened. And you probably just need an awake teacher or a liberated teacher because they're going to find your fixation in like 0.5 microseconds. It, it takes a second. 
you know, especially if you've been at this for many, many years or something and you're like, it's just not working. It's, you know, I don't know what it is, blah, blah, blah. Like that's not a hard fixation to find, but that person may not want a teacher because they may not want to be pointed to that fixation. So that's, that's on them. It's up to them. But, uh, you know, it can be helpful at first, um, you know, as you go through awakening and start to do some shadow work to really feel like what it feels like to orient toward a fixation, because we're actually very inclined to orient away from fixations for sure until we wake up and even do some shadow work. Once we get into the deeper shadow, then we actually start to intuit what you and I have been talking about is going to and finding the the really uncomfortable place. But at first, you won't even know that it's a place. You'll you'll avoid it so much, you don't know it's a place. Once you start to see that it's a place, oh, that's there. Ooh, that's really uncomfortable. Then it's a matter of, oh, I can actually go there. Oh, I can actually stay there. It's okay. Then you can start to look around and see, hmm, do I have to do anything here? You don't. All the doing was to avoid it, and you're not avoiding it anymore. So, um, so then you learn how to find those fixations on your own. I think it's definitely possible. <clears throat> mm, mm. And and this um the the last question I had because this is just something that has been on my mind. You did a video recently about um that had a trigger warning on it actually, and it was about the well of grief, about going to that place where there's no hope, where there's nothing for you. Um, the world is gone. Uh, is um, I mean, you did a great, that video is really where I would point people, but is there anything you can point to about that? Like even feeling into me, because for me, uh, like grief, sadness, sorrow, they arise, mm -hmm. but I have not really encountered what you pointed at. When I, wa when I watched the video and sat with it, I could feel into where you were going. But I haven't really experienced whatever that place is mm. that you were that you were pointing at. Well, I mean, it may be enough if you're feeling into it. And like like I I try to tell people like don't hold anything I say too heavily because it's a little different for everyone. But what what I'll say is this: um, if we talk about, let's say we talk in terms of fetters, maybe like eighth fetter would be the I am sense or the self sense, the subtle self sense that's remaining after all the other stuff falls away. I mean, I'm, I'm talking at this point, you're experiencing non-duality. Like you're not experiencing it. There's no one experiencing non-duality. It's non-dual is clear. There's, if there's no form, there's no perception. And that's very obvious. Um, there's also no time or space. There's also no purpose or meaning. And all of those become just exquisitely obvious. Uh, and it's rather enjoyable, but there's still something that wants to, uh, the best way I can say it is there's something that wants to turn nothing into something there's something that wants to it's like the most fundamental will to be like the urge to be anything at all to, to to have anything to have form to have anything at all um it wants to take the first step it wants to have the first movement of mind toward anything that can that can have agency it's it's that most fundamental movement or urge that that forms the self-structure um, when you, when you confront the truth that that doesn't even exist, you can't imagine what that's like. It's not imaginable. And for, for some people, it's not a big deal for other people. It's really not, it's, um, it's not what they wanted with all everything you could, all the stuff that came before that in spirituality to go, go over this cliff. It feels like I didn't see it coming. And they can be really dismayed for a, usually a short time. 
sometimes a little while, but it's usually a pretty short time. But it's the it's the deepest letting go you can imagine. It's not you can't imagine it. It's the deepest letting go available, and it's a it's like the tether is cut from the will to be. It's just cut, um, which is the beautiful thing. It's wonderful, of course, and that's the whole point actually. But for some reason. Just depending on the psychology, I don't know if it has to do with a trauma history or I don't really know what it is. It may not even be that. Some for some people it's just much harder than others. But it but even that, it doesn't take long. And 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 when I say it's harder for them, if you talk to them when they're going through it, they know with absolute hundred percent clarity that what I'm saying is true. And they know it's true. And they would tell you the same thing. And yet they'll tell you, and yet it really, really feels horrible to let go of this. Because I'm letting go of everything. I'm letting go of everything I thought I was, could be, will be. You're letting go of all hope. You're letting go of everything, which is fine. But it doesn't feel fine when you wanted there to be something. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. It's weird. It's like there's just it's like just how much will is left there. How much little bit of will that wants to grab, wants to control, wants to be, wants to own something or make something or anything at all. It's just it's just disappearing. That's what that video for, is about. That, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. For for you, did that happen in that first two day? It, it was hilarious. No, it was like I think you know I, I had to think back over this because it it was such a crash of of scaffolding crashing into one another. But thinking back, not too long ago, I think it might have been about a week or two later because I remember the moment of it for sure. And to me, it was hilarious. It was like it was the cherry on top of the whole damn thing. And it was, but it was also I don't know why, but for me, it was really really obvious really obvious. I was like, yes, it's done. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's a weird, weird analogy, but not so much Jesus on the cross. It's more like Pontius Pilate washing his hands. It's like done, done deal. I don't know why. It's just, it's just like everything. It's like, shut it down. It's over all of it gone over done. And, and, and also what, what remains, which isn't a what, and it's not anything you can talk about is just most obvious, simplest, ordinariest, just how it has to be, only way it could be, always has been, and there's no one that refers to at all, never has been. And that was just really obvious. That was obvious to me, and it was like, oh, okay, yeah, of course. And it was funny. That's my experience of it. Now, it doesn't mean that after that, there's not intense energetic experiences, because there can be, which is another thing that may sound weird but you can definitely have very intense like kundalini and energetic experiences pain states stuck energies it's not a delusion it's not a belief it's not a self but it's um but it's the momentum of delusion the momentum of fixation that's been going on for years and years and years and years maybe lifetimes that's still encoded in your in your energetic body in your quote-unquote physical body and that will be worked out and so that's not always comfortable but also it's it's so obviously just what it is. There's nothing there's nothing there that doesn't want it or nothing there that thinks it should be other or could be other or you know. So it's not all roses after that necessarily, but the personal suffering's over. Mm. <laughs> it just gets impossible to talk about after the yeah. self is gone. Someone was asking about it earlier today. It was like, you know, does it end? What does if something come to an end or does it keep yeah. going? And it's like, you know, in the relative, like there's once the self structure is seen through, there's no need to talk about it as such anymore at all. Zero. There's no need to communicate it to anyone. There's no need to deny the relative in the least. 
There's no need to tell people I don't exist or there's no I or that's not like that. It's just not like that. Um, it, it's so obvious that there's that that the conventional I, the conventional terms we use, the talking about myself, Angelo and his life and the things he does. It's very easy to do all that. That's just the conventional way of speaking. Um, and that does learn and it does progress in a sense. It does get better at picking up subtler things, even when I'm talking about awakening with people in the relative aspects that they're they're stuck in or whatever. It does seem to improve and get better. And that, I think that will just be ongoing until the end of the life of this body. And at the very same time, not for one second, can there be a forgetting of what's not here. And that is the loudest thing in the room. That's the loudest thing in the universe. All this other stuff is like a blip on the radar. <laughs> so that's the paradox, Beautiful. but it's just uh, the way it is. Total paradox, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's exactly, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I, and it, yep. I didn't, uh, man, to even talk about it this way, to even bring it out and talk about it, um, knowing it's impossible to talk about, literally impossible to talk about. I had such an aversion to, in a sense, but it was an intuitive aversion. Like I wouldn't talk about it because you can't. Um, but also because it's not, it wouldn't be, there's ways that you could talk about this that wouldn't be skillful for sure. And I think yeah. some people do that. Um, so it took, I guess, I don't know, it took a long time before I trusted myself for lack of a way of better saying it, that, that to, to actually talk about this. Um, and it's still the hardest thing to talk about because I, I know the effect it can have on people. It can be misleading. It, it, it will, it, it will be 100% misleading until it happens. Until it happens, you can't really, really know what it is because you're looking from a self. Um, you can sense it for sure. And, you know, you can intuit it, but <clears throat> there's something about it that's just so um, paradoxical is probably the best word for it for me. But even even that, it's a paradox because it's also not a paradox. It's just what it is. It's just what's right in front of your face. So simple. <laughs> it's funny. It's a funny. Yeah. It's, a, it's a joke is what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's cosmic, a real joke. Cosmic yeah. joke, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, at, the, at your last North Carolina retreat, I just couldn't stop laughing at some point because that joke became so, it was so clear. I was like, how? I mean, oh. <laughs> you just can't stop laughing. Love it. Um, yeah, inexpressible, really. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's been a blast. Nice catching well, up with you. I, yeah, it's a joy, man. Get some sleep or do you, are you going to sleep or are you going to go do a bunch of stuff? I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. I love it, man. All right. Thanks. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Peace. Peace.